Blog Talk Radio. radio show. Sometimes there's a few technical glitches, uh, but we're happy to be back this week. Um, after our show ended early last week uh, on the topic of love, sex, and other drugs. So we're happy to pick that up. Hope you've all had a good uh, holiday season so far, and we've visited some topics that may have been a benefit to you over the holidays, including how to survive your family during the holidays. Uh, topics that we're covering here on uh, Mind Whisperer, for those who are new to the show, uh, we're looking to make the show um, much more interactive um, than it has been. We haven't really had anyone uh, call in so far, so we're looking forward to your calls. And you can call in at 347-945-7891. That's 347-945-7891. You can also, uh, as you're listening to the program, um, Join uh, the chat room, and you can ask questions uh, via chat. I'm happy to answer your questions without you making the call into the program. We've been running for a few weeks now, and uh, we're on a sort of a stream of topics here that are really exploring the issue of consciousness, mind and brain function, and how it affects our daily lives and our relationships and our ability to make better choices and live a more conscientious um, life. So last week we got into about you know halfway two thirds of the program uh, discussing this issue of love, sex, and other drugs. So that's a very provocative title, as I said last time. And what we're really looking to explore is, is you know the practical issues of how we get in, in, entwined in relationships and they become addictive in a sense, or we get lured into a types of relationships that are unhealthy, much like we would in a relationship to a substance or other behaviors. So other drugs isn't necessarily just uh, external substances that we get dependent on or abuse, like drugs or alcohol, or it could even be behavioral addictions. And there's a lot of uh, controversy around that notion that behavioral um, dependencies are actually addiction, addictive behaviors. But I tend to side on that um, argument that uh, they are addictive-like, and we'll get into that today. Now, just to recap last week, what we did cover in the first half of the program is that nothing can act on the body externally that doesn't already occur physiologically or biochemically in the body to begin with. Pardon me. And I I mentioned the work of um, Candace Pert, who was featured in the film, What the Bleep Do We Know?, that... uh, brought her into a lot more popular recognition. And she, um, one of her, her, work, her books is entitled The Molecules of Emotion. 
Now, just a quick backstory again on Candace Pert, who is a, um, I guess her, her real field of expertise is psychopharmacology. So it's looking at uh, pharmacology, sort of the biochemistry of uh, the body and and how it affects brain function and neurological and otherwise, you know, uh, consciousness. And the story was that uh, back in the 80s, um, she was part of the national health team that was investigating uh, the possible cure for opiate addiction, particularly heroin. And in the process, they asked the question, well, if, there is an ex- if heroin as an external opiate is able to uh, cause addiction in, in the human body, then there must be something, uh, quote-unquote, endogenous or native to our bodies that, al- that allows that mechanism to take hold. And what she discovered was um, that there was a receptor. We know there's receptor sites all around the human body on, on cells, um, particularly in the brain, uh, as they relate to um, cognition and, and information processing and, and emotion and neurological function. And lo and behold, she uh, found and isolated um, endorphins. So this was a major breakthrough. And so the idea was that... Um, Heroin is introduced into this into your system, and it is uh, kind of an analog to endorphins. It sort of takes over the endorphin production. Endorphins are the natural painkiller of the body, and so this was the discovery that we have our own natural um, what what's called a neuropeptide um, that is um, linked in like a key in a lock at these receptor sites, and it fires off a synaptic response. Uh, to release um, in, endorphins in the body, which are which are again send a signal to relax a pain signal. So presumably, <clears throat> um, this would have helped them um, understand the heroin addiction and and perhaps come up with a a way to block the uptake of the opiate or to um, allow endorphins to stay present in the body and not get taken over by um, the external substance. But in the process of discovering this, Candace Pert found all these other um, neuropeptides that are related to emotional function, mood, um, and so on and so forth that were previously thought only to occur in the brain. We used to think that brain, that emotion, for example, was just uh, something that occurred electrosynaptically in the brain, which is the impulses between uh, nerve junctions in the brain, or neuron junctions, I should say, in the brain. But we now understand, um, you know, with the great assistance by Candace Pert's work, that these receptor uh, sites are all over the human body. So, for example, we know now that serotonin, uh, which is uh, the hormone that we know is um, related to uh, mood, uh, is there are an enormous number of uh, receptors in our gut. And something like 70 or 80 percent of serotonin is is produced in the gut. And this is a, a fascinating side topic in terms of um, if you think about when you're under stress or you're depressed and you don't feel like eating or you overeat, for example, um, it's related to digestion. Or if you have poor digestion and you have some digestive issues, um, that uh, it affects serotonin production and it can create depression. So. Um, all these things are, are more, way more interactive across the different uh, systems of the body than we previously thought. So this raises a lot of really interesting questions about 
um, how we how how the body processes and uh, displays the result of external substances and stimuli. So, in the film, what the bleep do we know? Uh, there's a sort of an animated sequence that is demonstrating, for example, how external stimuli, such as um, you know relationships to other people and uh, emotional triggers, kick off a whole sort of conditioned set of reflexes in the mind and body, specifically with this mechanism of these neuropeptides. And for example, she talks about how hormones are released or neuropeptides are the carriers of those signals and how they are wired in based on our conditioning or our habitual responses. So, for example, in the film, the protagonist is a woman who's a photographer and uh, Marley Matlin is the actor and she um, had previously been jilted by, at, the, at the altar by her fiancé and so she's commissioned to go shoot a wedding, which she's not keen about partly because of that experience, and she goes to the wedding and she starts essentially having uh, uh, conscious hallucinations. You know, she starts to see things that aren't really happening because they're happening through the filter of her previous emotional trauma. So she she imagines that the groom is cheating on, you know, on, on the bride because she sees the groom presumably kissing one of the bridesmaids behind frosted glass, and as they step away from the glass, she sees that they were just innocently talking. And so the, the animation in the film explains how, because of her previous experience, her mind and body is wired. It's almost like addicted to this emotional response. And what that, simply put, means is that, for example, jeal- the emotion of jealousy and all the hormones and, and uh, those neuropeptides or um, polypeptides, partial peptides, and ligands, which are the the keys, um, or the receptors, um, how they um, populate and and, um, repopulate around that response. So if you're triggered easily into anger or jealousy, for example, you'll find that those receptor sites on those cells that are processing those biochemical responses in your body are being strengthened. They're being uh, hyperactuated uh, in in deficit to other responses which keep you calm and relaxed and open. So this is very significant for what we're talking about in the program today. And, and try not to be too technical, but I do want to give you the information so you understand, um, you know, some of the factual basis of what I'm, I'm talking about in terms of anatomy and physiology in the body. <clears throat> so when we look at attraction, love, sexual desire and bonding, all of this background information is very, very um, interesting. And it, it can help you understand what's going on in terms of the basically the pharmacology of your body, the, the, in other words, the chemical levels in your body, and what's happening in, in that um, attraction phase and then the bonding phase of relationships. So very simply put, um, you, you, your body releases, when, when the attract, attractor triggers or markers are there for you based on your own biochemistry and what's uh, you know and, your, and your, your own personal makeup of what you find attractive in a potential mate um, and there's all kinds of chemical responses that are happening there for example you may have heard of pheromones and pheromones are the scent based um, sort of the DNA carriers uh, that signal attraction uh, 
and that sets off a whole bunch of associations in the mind and the brain, uh, very much at a subconscious level around um, what makes this person attractive, their smell, their their um, the, the shape of their body, et cetera, et cetera. And then that goes forward as you as you kiss for the first time. There are uh, there's more genetic information exchanged in saliva, and your body is assessing all those things uh, at a very core level. So, in terms of the um, the brain and the body's response to that process, neurotransmitters are fired off. So, the common name would be adrenaline, but norepinephrine is another name for a neurotransmitter. And that's one of the one of the drugs that go off in your brain, as well as dopamine, which is uh, a hormone that's uh, or, or neuroregulator, neurotransmitter that's associated with pleasure, and also endorphins. So all of these are are firing off in a response that makes your heart beat faster, and you your palms get sweaty, and you're excited, and it makes you kind of fixate on the other person because your your attention is now hyper-focused and it's focused on the object of this stimulation to your system. And your brain and your body is telling you that, yes, this is something I need to zero in on and, and it's giving me all these responses. So what happens after that is if you do engage in that relationship and you do um, end up having sexual relations with that person, then other hormones are released. And... Specifically, the hormone that we're interested in is called oxytocin. And oxytocin is a hormone that um, is initially released um, in the womb uh, during labor to stimulate contractions. So your very, you know, prenatal experience is to be exposed to this hormone, which is to relax the, the, the uterus and allow the baby to be born. And as the baby is born... Um, and uh, is cradled by the mother, its instinct is to go for breast milk, to nourish outside of the womb. And uh, in the mother's breast milk is the same hormone, oxytocin. And so this signals the, the, new, the neonatal infant's brain to, as it's rapidly developing, to grow neurons, to literally grow those neural pathways in response to being bonded close and secure to the mother's chest and suckling at her breast, taking in nourishment and uh, with the oxytocin release. And the, and the baby's body is also releasing oxytocin in, 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 in response. We have a caller. Uh, I'm going to um, bring the caller online right now. Hello, you're on the Mind Whisper. Hello, ma. What's up? How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. What's up with you? How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Do you have a question or a comment? Uh, well, dude, I want to tell you one thing. Uh, well, I'm also a psychology student, so I want to tell you, I want to ask one thing. I'm sorry, I'm yeah. not native English speaker. I'm from Pakistan. Okay, you have to speak up a little bit. I'm having a hard time hearing you. I have no problem uh, you know, listening listen to your accent, but it's uh, your your sound level is quite low. Okay, can you hear me that's, now? That's better. And and what's your name? My name is Spark Spark Khan. Chabar. Spark S P A R K Spark. Oh, Spark. Okay. 
Go ahead. Uh, okay. Please. Uh, well, your... I have a question. Why it's pretty much difficult to understand uh, artist psychology? Because I'm an artist by myself, and seems like no one can understand me. Hello. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not quite clear on your question. You're. You're saying it's difficult to understand which? Okay. Well, listen up. I'm saying that. Uh, can you hear me now? I can hear you. Yeah. Okay, so I'm saying that uh, why it's difficult to understand an artist because I'm an artist by myself. Why is it difficult to understand an artist? Yeah, because I'm an artist by myself and it seems yeah. like no one can understand me. And I studied other other artists too, and it seems like they are ignorant or something like that when they are in childhood. But why? Oh well, that's a very good question, and um, and I'm I'm glad you called in. And uh, for those who are more keenly tuned in to listen to the topic at hand, you, you know that this is a uh, open format show, and so I'm happy to answer this question, even though it's not specifically on the okay. topic today. And um, well, thank Clark, you, man. Um, yeah, I I it's a very important question, and I am also an artist. I'm not a visual artist, but I'm uh, a musical artist and a writer. I'm also a musical artist, dude. I'm a rapper, rap, I'm a rock artist, and music producer. Oh, great. Well, it's a very important question, and I actually did my master's thesis looking at uh, artists. And my personal take on it is, you know, that um, there are, we now have identified seven specific different forms of intelligence, streams of intelligence. And unfortunately, okay, I don't believe then. That, the, that the education system hasn't quite caught up with us. And it is the education system is uh, focused on trying to stream as many students as possible through and get the rudimentary subjects covered mathematics, um, you know, language, English, comprehension, yeah, et etc. Et right. And so it doesn't uh, recognize that there are uh, different types of intelligence and perhaps um, an intuitive process that. Uh, someone who is born with an artistic inclination is more oriented towards. And so they may not be encouraged or recognized for that particular kind of uh, focus on the world and how they're interpreting their experience yeah. and, and that their need to express it in that way. And it can be very socially isolating. I agree. Okay, but dude, the problem is like that uh, we see the world from a rare view. Am I right? Well, I think that what it is, it's that, that's a good point. You know, I, I, I would say it's kind of rare in the sense that um, here's, a, here's an interesting fact. We process 11 million bits of information a second, the human brain. But yeah, we're only, I know that. We're only consciously able to process 40, four zero of the bits of that information. And okay. so we have extremely strong filters in our waking consciousness because otherwise we'd be overwhelmed all the time. And what I believe it is is that artists um, are capable of opening that filter, if you will, and taking in information in different ways or tuning into yes. their sensory input in a, in, a, in a way that other people have perhaps tuned out. And they allow themselves to go that process. Now, what that means, unfortunately, is that for many artists, it it can be um, put them at you know in a vulnerable state in terms of 
being overwhelmed or feeling isolated or, um, you know, uh, for being depression. Frustrated, exhausted. Exactly. Huh? And so, you know, there's a very specific kind of um, experience yeah. there. And you'll see that it, not even just artists, but those who are highly intelligent tend to have a higher incidence of schizophrenia yeah. or depression or et cetera, et cetera. So I believe that's partly related to being having access to a, a greater stream of, of information and trying to process that information, you know, and, and taking it in. Does that make sense to you? Uh, yeah, yeah, it can. But, uh, uh, and tell me a way. Uh, well, because I'm having a problem like my girl uh, and my friend, my mother, my dad, my brother can't understand me. They can't understand me. I don't know why. That's a problem. So, do you have any solution for it? I'm like a person who always into writing and writing and writing. Right. Well, I mean, part of the problem there might be that um, you mentioned childhood, and you know, in early childhood, you know, we're in a, we're 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 very rapidly developing our social and emotional self. And it's in relation to the others around us, particularly our parents. Yeah. And so that makes us very vulnerable. And if you are having a private experience that you feel is not being validated and um, authenticated by your family or your parents, it can be uh, very traumatizing at that age because all you're supposed to feel is connection and security. And so if you even perceive that there is some sort of distancing of you or separation from you in that family unit, it can make you adapt to the world in a in a, um, in a in a less secure kind of a way. And so what that means in, as an adult later on is that you're still seeking some, perhaps some validation from the people around you. And my advice to you as, an, as a fellow artist and as somebody who's in the psychology field is to uh, recognize that that may be present for you and that you there's a part of you that wants to seek uh, that kind of core self-worth or security in yourself as an artist through the people around you. And part of that is just your own background and you need to work on that and find your own strengths. And part of it is, is that not everybody's an artist. Not everybody's going to be able to relate to the path that you're on and the way you see the world. So my suggestion is, is to, is to um, strengthen that uh, self-worth and your identity as an artist and your experience and your reality as an artist with other artists. To seek out other individuals as friends or even better as a mentor so that you can um, feel true to who you are and not have that be put into question because it, it makes you feel it's at risk with your other relationships. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, I can understand, but... Uh I wanted to share something with you as you're talking. I never shared something mm -hmm. with anyone else. Okay. Now, as you're artist, okay, now what I want, I want a loneliness. Every time my mind is working, something is in my mind that I want to write that line. I want to get alone. And there's something like people are like, let's party or go to the marriage ceremony or something like that. And sometimes I hate that stuff. But they are like, man, be social. And I'm just like, man, what the fuck? So, what you, so if, I understand what you're, if I understand what you're saying, you're saying that you feel alone as an artist and that you have a hard time relating to in social situations. Is that what you're saying? 
Yeah, yeah, probably because uh, I think you can say I think it entirely different way. Someone is saying right. like um, because uh, being an artist, we have we always have to do new things. But uh, right. being a normal individual, we have to follow the ordinary things. That's what that's right. The so again, me. so again, what you have to recognize here is that um, you have to you have to honor who you are as an artist and uh, recognize that the rest of the world doesn't necessarily operate in that way. And the more that, as I said, the more that you can validate that and um, and and build the quality of that experience and enjoy that with other like-minded people, okay, then But the you, thing is, you, like that, dude... Well, what you want to do is yeah. nourish that experience where it's appropriate, and then when you are in general experiences, wedding situations, or, you know, just the conventional day-to-day you know, some social something world, or something like that. The social, the social conventions, all those things. I mean, you can observe them, and you can observe them from the artist's standpoint, but you don't have to feel excluded from them. And again, part of that is that your identity that's formed as a child. If you have felt isolated as a child in that experience, then then what happens is uh, you generalize that experience to the rest of the world as you grow older, and so you can really stay stuck in this cocoon of it's me against the world. The world is all this place I don't relate to, and I'm on my own. And that is the aspect that you can work with, because essentially, any human person, any human being, can have that isolated experience. I mean, I'm in clinical practice as a as a psychotherapist, and every client that I see is wrestling with um, their relationship to the world. And part of that is that generalized experience that they never felt totally secure and connected in their formative years. So when you add an extra layer on yeah, top of you that... You do 100% ver- right. What part of me? Yeah, you are again? right, man. You're saying the right thing. I'm saying that you are saying the right thing. So well, I'm glad, I'm glad like you relate. For me, yeah, because... A lot of time, I feel like me against the world, me against the world, me against the right. world. Because so, what you have to understand is that you are very, you're very unique and you're very special, and that you you are you have to trust yourself, and you do need to, in a way, find your own substitute family and substitute relationships that are that are going to nourish and feed that part of yourself because you are unique. And if you look at being an artist and you go down the spectrum of that kind of open experience to the world, as you go much further down that, that line, you can find aut- autism spectrum disorders, you can find schizophrenia, that people are more you know, um, sensitive and vulnerable uh, to the world and have a hard time relating. So artists, I'm not saying artists are dysfunctional, I'm just saying that it's, to me it's all about... Um, the, the, the more open and vulnerable you are and the more information and experience that you're exposed to and can take in and don't just tune out, it requires of you to be, um, to adapt to that and be sensitive to that. And some people aren't artistic, but they're just very sensitive individuals. And they have to be very careful about who they form relationships with. And so, and for example, there are people who have vastly different social values than mainstream society. If you look at the Occupy movement, for example, you know, there are people who don't who completely disagree with mainstream capitalist society and it's very difficult for them because they have to go out and survive in the world and pay rent or, you know, um, earn a living, but they don't agree with that economic system. So again, what I would my advice to you is is to is to recognize who you are, 
to validate it, to seek out others who are going to, who, with whom you recognize yourself, particularly mentors, people who are going to guide you and they're going to be a model for you. And there are dozens of them. I'm a huge fan of biographies. I, I, I read a lot of biographies from Picasso to Bob Dylan yeah. to, you know, because I find a lot of validation and, and comfort in that. Okay. Well, thank you. I'm sorry, we're we're running out of time, Spark, but I I really appreciate your call and and please feel free okay, to call okay, in the, okay. next, the next program. Um, you know, it, it was really it was a nice to uh, introduce this topic in today. Okay, do you do you, right, you take I care? Understand you, and I will work on and I will work on it. I just want to know one thing from you. Uh, yes. You are in which type of music, bro? Sorry, you, you broke up there. Which type of music? What type of music? I said. What's your genre in music? Yeah, what's your genre in music? What's my genre of music? Uh, if you go to MikeGordon.com, it's spelled M-Y-K, Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N. It's uh, it's sort of like soul, blues, roots music. Um, the, the theme music to the show you're hearing is, is from my CD. All right, I've got to sign off. Uh, Spark, before you go, there's a book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Fantastic workbook that helps you um, find your identity as an artist in the world where people don't necessarily okay, relate please, to you. Dude, let the me art, write that book. Let me write that the, the name of that book. What's that? It's called The, Ar- the Artist's Way. The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for You're welcome. your help. Now we, no problem. You take care. I'm going to sign off to now. You. I'm so I'm so happy to take okay, your call and I, I'm happy to have been of some help. You take care now. All right, that's it for our program. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week, and you enjoy your uh, new year and all your new goals and uh, your family and loved ones, and take care.